This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. All right, take your notes out for today's message. We're in this uh, series of messages I've called Lessons from the Old Testament. And I just want to remind you that the Apostle Paul tells us that the Old Testament is important for us to know even today. And this is what he said in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. These things happened. He's talking about the, the stories of the Old Testament, the context of this. These things happened to Israel as examples for us they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the ages. So isn't it interesting? Sometimes we can look at things in the Old Testament and think, well, that was for then. It doesn't really apply to, to us. But isn't it interesting to see that Paul says those things happened and were written down in God's word because they bring important lessons for us in 2016. Those of us who are at the end of the age, and that, that's us today. So today I want us to look into the life of another one of these Old Testament judges. We've been kind of in the book of Judges since we started this. I, I tell you the truth, I wasn't really intending that, but we just keep going back to the book of Judges. We're back there again, looking into the life of another one of those judges in Israel history, a woman by the name of Deborah. And I want you to keep in mind that the judges gave temporary leadership to Israel in between the time of Joshua after his death and the time before King Saul was put on the throne years later. So in between uh, King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and Joshua, that time period is when the, the judges gave rulership or leadership to, um, to Israel. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago that not all of the judges were men. And, and Deborah is one example of that truth. And you'll find her story given in Judges chapters 4 and 5. I'm not going to take time to read all of that scripture, but I do want to give you a general feel of what was going on as what's talked about in those two chapters. Judges chapter 4 verse 1 gives us, describes for us the condition of Israel's spiritual life. It says, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. And this is kind of a reoccurring thought that you'll find throughout the book of Judges. Over and over again, you're going to see a phrase similar to this. Israel again falls into sin. Israel again does evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and because of them backsliding over and over again, it brings the consequences of that sin. Now, this happened because chapter 2, verse 10 tells us in Judges that after the original generation that had followed Joshua into the promised land, after they had all died off, their children did not have the same commitment to the Lord that they did. And because of their weakened commitment to the Lord, spiritual corruption began to grow within the people of Israel. This, of course, resulted in a loss of God's blessing upon them and ultimately bondage to foreign nations as enemies would be allowed to come in and conquer the people. Now, the pattern was that whenever one of these foreign nations would come in and enslave the people, that Israel would cry out to God for mercy and God would then raise up a judge, a, a significant leader, to deliver them. But after that judge died, 
this verse would come back into play again. The, the, the righteous judges, his effect, his influence would go away, her influence would go away, and the people would fall right back in to sin and spiritual apostasy again. And that's where we are at here in Judges chapter 4. Now, Israel's real problem was, was that they cried out to God for deliverance from these foreign enemies and their enslavement. That wasn't wrong. They just didn't go far enough. They cried out for deliverance from their problems. They never cried out for a change of heart. Had they cried out for a change of heart, they wouldn't continue to go back into this cycle of revival, back into apostasy, back into bondage, uh, crying out for, for deliverance and, and revival again and, and all of that. Back, constant, constant uh, 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 cycle of, of their lives. But they... they they didn't ask God to change their heart, and because of that, they kept falling back into apostasy, which resulted in God's judgment. And I really think that's a powerful lesson to us in the church in 2016. You and I have got to decide that we're going to serve Jesus with all of our hearts. I like what Carrie said earlier when she greeted you this morning, that you came here to worship God regardless of your problems, regardless of the issues you're facing. Is everything perfect in your life? No, it isn't for any of us. We've all got issues, physical, uh, marital, uh, financial, uh, career-wise, on and on and on. We, we could go. There are issues that we're facing, disappointments, struggles. But we come and we give God honor and glory anyway because he is our source. He is our help. And we need to remember that we cannot allow the struggles of life to push us back into our old life. My, what I have seen throughout the years has been people that have run to God when they've hit a crisis, whatever that crisis is, they run to God, but once the crisis is over, they go right back to their old life again, and then they wonder, well, where's the favor of God in my life? Now, that's the same thing that Israel is going through at this time. They're suffering because of their sin. They're crying out to God because of their suffering. They're being delivered from their suffering by God's grace, only to return to the rebellion all over again. And it was a tragic cycle for them, and I think... Personally, I think this is one of the warnings that Paul is giving us in 1 Corinthians 10, where he says, these things are shared with you as a warning for those who live in the end time. Brothers and sisters, let's not let the devil knock us out of our faith. Just this past week, I ran into somebody who, who used to come here regularly who said, oh, I've just allowed the you know, stuff of, I've heard it so many times in my life. I've allowed this or that, disappointments, whatever it was, this crises that he faced, uh, that, that caused him to pull away from the Lord. He said, I've got to get back into church. Well, you know, there comes the point, brothers and sisters, and I'm impassioned about this in the last days. We have got to decide who we are going to serve. Are we going to be faithful to God? Are we going to commit fully to him? Or are we going to allow the disappointments of life to keep undermining us and we're on this up and down cycle with God, which is so frustrating uh, to our spiritual lives? So this was a tragic cycle that Israel found itself in. Now, the bondage Israel was under in Judges chapter 4 was from a group of people called the Canaanites. The Canaanites had come in and conquered Israel, 
because of her sin. And God lifted his, his, uh, his protection off of them because of this, all right? So God raises up a woman because the, the people start crying out to the Lord. And he raises up a woman by the name of Deborah to bring deliverance to the nation of Israel. And God told her to send for a man by the name of Barak and to tell him to gather an army to challenge the Canaanites in battle. Now, we aren't told in the scripture why, but when she asked Barak to gather this army together, he said, I will do it, but I'll only do it if you go with me, Deborah. And she agreed to it, but she says, because you have asked for this, the victory that God brings will go to the credit of a woman and not to a man. So God revealed to Deborah that they were to lure the Canaanites into a trap. He gave them specific ways to do that. And that then the Lord would defeat the Canaanites. All you have to do is lure them in and then I will defeat them, says the Lord. And it's the same thing throughout the book of Judges. Over and over again, the people are, are put into a battle situation that they cannot win, but it is God Almighty who comes to the rescue and works and gives the victory for Israel. So Barak goes out, and, and from his own tribe in Israel, he gathers about 10,000 men, and, and then the word gets out to some of the neighboring tribes, and, and, and in the end, he gets another 30,000, so there's about 40,000 uh, men who have come together to be Barak's army to go against the, the, the Canaanites. But even so, they're terribly outnumbered. They had few weapons. You have to know this, that the Canaanites took all of their weapons away from them, so all they had were, were, were pieces of equipment dealing with agriculture, like pitchforks and things like that, but they had no weapons, and worse yet, they had no experience in fighting because that was another generation that did all of that, not them. So they have no weapons, they have no experience. This is going to have to be the Lord's victory. The Canaanites, on the other hand, they're the 180 degrees different. They have a large standing army, and their, their army is preceded by 900 iron chariots that, that they had put together. And whenever they would go out to battle, the 900 iron chariots went first. And it was like tanks. It was like you're a foot soldier and you're facing tanks that are coming at you. And it was so incredibly intimidating and, and terrifying to face that in battle. But the battle was not Israel's, the battle was the Lord's. And as Israel army advanced in faith against this skilled and well-equipped and trained Canaanite army, the Lord threw the Canaanites into confusion. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And instead of fighting Israel, they're fighting one another and killing each other until only a remnant is left. And they, they look around and say, whoa, what's happened to us? And they take off running. Israel chases them all down. Verse number 16 tells us not a single one of them was left. That's how complete the destruction of the enemy was, except for one man, the leader of the Canaanite army, a man by the name of Sisera. Sisera had escaped on foot, and he ran to the tent of, of an ally. He ran to the tent of a friend. He went into the tent, and his friend was not there, but his friend's wife was there. 
And he said to her, will you please hide me from those who are pursuing me? And she agreed to do it. And he said, first of all, give me something to drink. She gave him something to drink. He's exhausted. He lays down. She puts him under all of these blankets. He's so exhausted, he falls asleep, falls into a deep sleep. And she goes over. I think she can read the writing between the walls. I'm not going to stand in front of Israel to defend this dude. And so she walks over. Now, this, you think all the bad stuff's on TV? She walks over, sneaks over, and grabs a peg, a tent peg, and she comes over, and as he's sleeping on his side, she puts it right on his temple. He doesn't feel it, and whack! And the Bible says it goes through his skull and into the ground. So, I mean, she hit that dude hard. She knew what she was doing, and she took him out. So he dies right there. Israel's army shows up and uh, says, do you know where he's at? And the lady says, yes, I do. Here he is. And she takes him into the brock into the tent, and there is uh, Sisera dead on the ground. So after this, Deborah writes this incredible story and song, actually, and that's in chapter 5, where she's giving praise to God, but she also acknowledges with thanksgiving this woman who helps them bring total defeat to the Canaanites. So this is what I want you to get here today. Um, God delivers Israel by two women, Deborah and this lady who kills Sisera. So what can we learn today from this story? I want to suggest three things to you quickly. Number one, there are many spiritual battles that you're going to have to fight if you want to receive the blessings of the Lord upon your life and upon your family. The, the enemy will oppose every promise God has made to you. You're going to have to fight through that opposition. That's why the Apostle Paul called it the good fight of faith. Faith is powerful, but there, there's a fight to faith. And sometimes we give up so easily because we don't want to fight. We don't want, to, we don't want anything to come hard. I think many people come into faith in Christ and I think, once I give my heart to Jesus, then all of my problems are going to be gone. And I will tell you that once you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit does fill you and he comes alongside you to help you in your battles against the enemy and your battles against your own flesh. He will help you overcome. But if you interpret that to mean that there will be no battles at all, I want to suggest that you're terribly mistaken. Acts chapter 14 tells us of when Paul and Barnabas went to Antioch that they strengthened the believers there and they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, what I would like to do is take some white out and just kind of cover over the last part of that verse. Because it would have been all right to me if it would have talked about them suffering hardships, but that's, it doesn't say that they suffered hard. We, all of us, we must suffer hardships. And we don't like that. I don't like that. If, if I was to give you opportunity to sign up for hardships, I doubt that anybody would stand in line. Right? Who wants hardships in their life? But that's what the verse says. We must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. There are going to be battles that we are going to face if we're going to receive the blessings of God. 
The Apostle Peter says almost the same thing in 1 Peter 3, 14, where he talks about suffering for doing what is right, and he concludes those thoughts in verse 17 by saying, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Wait a minute. Suffering for doing good? I thought you only suffered if you did wrong. No, sometimes you suffer when you do good. The truth is, sometimes Christians suffer for their faith. Many believers in the world today, you know, when I came to church this morning, I didn't look over my shoulder when I parked my car to come in here to see if somebody was going to kill me before I got in the building. And you never know something like that can happen, but I'm, I, it wasn't like top on my mind. I didn't think about it when, when all of you came in here that, that there was going to be any danger in here. I mean, those things can happen, but it's not something we think about much in, in America. But in parts of the world, you know that's not true. Our brothers and sisters are suffering for their faith. They're suffering for doing what is right. What I want to tell you is you may go through some hardships because you are doing what is good and you are doing what is right. And it says, you may say, well, it's not fair that it's that way, but it happens because we live in a fallen world. And, and sometimes when we do what is right, it often makes others who are doing what is wrong look bad or feel convicted and they may retaliate against us. They may retaliate against you. I remember years ago talking to a Christian contractor who told me how hard it was to compete as a Christian against non-Christians because when, you know, contractors give a bid before they, they do a job, they'll, get, they'll make a bid. And when he would give a bid for a job, he said he'd have to compete against the non-Christians who would oftentimes lie in order to get the bid, to get the job. They would artificially make the job look... Um, less expensive than it really would be. And so the guy who's having the job done likes the lower bid, and the, the, the Christian guy was giving an honest bid of what it's really going to cost. Now, see, what the non-Christians would do, this is what he told me, is they, they, would, they would go in and they'd get the job because they had the low bid, and then it, while they're halfway in the project, they would go to the, the owner and they'd say, oh, well, this and this, we ran into this and the other thing and so forth, and we're going to have to add two and so now it's more expensive than the Christian guy had bid. And that, he said, that happens to me all the time. It's so frustrating. What do I do? And this is what I told him. You always do what's right. Always. You tell the truth. You leave the battle to the Lord. Don't try to fix it yourself. Don't try to overcome them by falsehood yourself. The truth is, sometimes the honest man or woman or woman will temporarily, and that's the key word, end up losing, end up in a, in, on the losing end because you are honest. God will bless down the line, but in the, in the immediate, there may be a struggle that you're going through, a, a price you have to pay, a trial that you're going to go through because you are doing it right and somebody else... Uh, you know, sabotaged you. It, it could be a, maybe you're in line for a promotion and it's the other guy that gets it because he lies. 
And, and he twists the truth and he changes things and makes his report look different than it really was. You say, it's not fair. And, and in the immediate, it feels like you're going to lose and all you're doing is losing and that guy's winning against you. And, and God, I'm trying to do what's right and what's going on here. This is what I want you to hear this morning. You have to understand that a lost battle does not mean a lost war. And just because you get hurt in the immediate doesn't mean you're going to be hurt in the long term. In fact, you serve the Lord God Almighty, and what you do, you do for Him. Amen? You don't do it for your boss. Oh, yeah, you're doing it for your boss. You don't do it for your paycheck. Of course, you're going to get your paycheck, but you're doing what you do unto the Lord. And when you do that, God comes to your rescue every single time. Hallelujah. You can trust Him with your life. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Boy, that's tough. With all of your heart. Some of my heart, some of the time I can trust him, but all the time, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding, your own way of thinking. In all of your ways, submit to him. That means you always do what's right. And look at that. I'll make your plan, plan straight. I'll, I'll prosper you. I'll guide you. I'll make it work out in the end. It's going to work to your favor. So you're going to face battles in your spiritual life. You're going to face battles. You're going to have to overcome. There's going to be struggles in, in receiving the promises of God. Israel faced them. The promised land was not handed to Israel on a platter. They had to fight every inch of the way. But when they trusted God, God gave them the victory. When they live for Jesus, God gave them the victory, and the same thing is true for you. When you trust God, you do what's right, you follow his word, the Lord will give you the victory. Now, having said that about battles, let me also say this about battles. Some battles are necessary and some are not. You say, what, what does that mean? Well, not every battle that Israel fought was necessary. Some of them happened because of Israel's rebellion to God. Now, I don't have a particular scripture, but the whole book of Judges is that. When you look at the whole book of Judges, it's them entering into another battle phase because they messed up again and fell into sin again. They didn't have to go through that. In fact, it was never God's will that they go through this repeating cycle of, 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 of rebellion and, and coming under the bondage of other nations and having to fight their way out again, and God giving deliverance and so forth. Nearly all the battles that Israel faced in the book of Judges were, were, were the result of their own rebellion, not God's will. It was their rebellion that put them in that spot. It's what we call self-inflicted wounds. We've, we did it to ourselves. And folks, Israel did that, and you and I do that. We put ourselves in a position because we think we know better, and, and we end up being in bondage to something or... or or something negative, very negative happening in our lives because we put ourselves there. We did it to ourselves, you know. And, and, and we, we have to fight a battle now that is not necessary, was never God's will in the first place. When you look at the battle between Israel and Canaan, you see a, the, a battle plan put together by the Lord himself as a winning strategy to defeat the enemy. I love what Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on the book of Judges says. I'll just give it to you. God always has a perfect plan for us to follow. Now, this is where it comes to us. He had the perfect plan for Israel. He's got the perfect plan for us, for us to follow. 
God chose the leader of his army, the place of the battle, the plan for his army to follow, and he also guaranteed the victory. The victory. Now, that was true of Israel, and it is true for you and me today. We get in trouble when we think, though, that we know better, that my situation is unique, and I need to, I need to twist the deal. I, need, I, I know what God's Word says, but... Okay, you getting it? I know what God has said, but this situation I need to to handle my way because it's a little different than, and God wrote that 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago, and, and that's a long time ago, and my situation is, is different. You know, and so we come up with our own ideas and our own plans, and what ends up happening is we shoot ourselves in the foot and bondage comes to us that doesn't need to come to us. And we end up in a fight that we didn't need to end up in. Does that make sense? I know the flesh says, do it. But God's word says, don't do it. Follow God's word every time. Every time. All right, number three, God doesn't always use expected methods to accomplish his plans. And in fact, I could probably say that God almost never uses what we consider to be normal to accomplish his plan. If you put God in a box and say, well, I've got it figured out how God works now. I'm going to guarantee you he's going to blow the sides out of that box. Why would he do that? To make you seek him, number one, and to make you trust him. You know, if, if, he get, if we get into thinking that God's always going to do it this way, then I don't have to seek him about it anymore. You know? But God doesn't always use just one way of doing it. There were times that the Lord just spoke a word and a person was healed. Let me tell you about another time. John 9 verses 1 through 7 gives us a story of the healing of a blind man. It says he, as Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents? That he was born blind. And Jesus said, neither this man or his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And after saying this, look at verse 6, he spits on the ground he makes some mud with the saliva, and he puts it on the man's eyes. And go, he tells him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went, and he washed, and he came home seeing. I've had many of you come up to have me pray for you after services. I wonder, if I had a box of dirt up here, <laughs> and you came up, and I said, just a minute. <clears throat> <clears throat> And I started spitting in the, the dirt and mixing it all up. I'd have to be pretty juicy, which I'm, right now I'm a little bit, uh, I'm not. But, and I start, you know, and then, I, and then I pull out this mud that I just made that way. And you look at me and say, what are you going to do with that? Oh, I'm going to plaster it all over you. Just, why? Because we're going to get you healed. I'll bet you instantaneous healing would come to you before I ever touched you. <laughs> Boom! Oh, I'm feeling better already. See ya. I'm out. <laughs> out the door. But that's exactly what the blind, what Jesus did to the blind man. And I look at that story, and I, every time I've read that, I go, oh, gross. I can't imagine that. That sounds so terrible. Jesus, you're holy. We sang about it today. Oh, he's a holy God and all of this, you know, and you're spitting 
in the ground, and that just doesn't seem to go well. Sometimes God does things in ways that are not what we would consider to be normal. And we think that he has to do it our way. That, well, here, I've got it figured out, Lord, how my kids are going to come back to you, and I expect you to do it within the box of how I figured it out. I haven't figured out how my job's going to be retained, and I have it in the box here how that's going to happen. I, I haven't figured out, Lord, how you're going to provide for my family, and I have it in the box here um, and all of that. And God chooses to do something different. You say, well, why did Jesus do it that way? I have no idea. When you get to heaven, you can go up and ask him. Why would you do that? God often does something very unexpected to bring about the most incredible miracles. I'm going to guarantee you this. That blind man was thrilled with the results. He may not have been thrilled with the process, but he was thrilled with the results. Now, this is where it applies, what I'm talking about applies to the story of Deborah. Jewish society, everything was about the guy, about the man. All the leaders were men, and uh, the deliverers were all men. Moses, mighty man of God, and all that. They were all men. And they expected deliverance to come through a man, but God says, nope, I'm going to use a woman. She's going to get the job done. Let me just say that if it weren't for the women in the body of Christ, the work of the kingdom of God would come to a grinding halt. And I'm not talking about Israel 3,000 years ago. I'm talking about the work of God in America and around the world in 2016. I'm talking about Life Church. I will tell you, and this is no, in no way a put down of the men whatsoever, because the men are highly involved too, but I will tell you that Life Church honors our women here because these ladies teach us a very important lesson that God will use anyone who is fully committed and surrendered to his lordship in their life. You don't have to be a man for God to use you. He uses anyone. And I get so frustrated at this teaching out there that says that women can't teach men. I'll tell you what, if you're going to get mad at me if, you're, if you agree with that. My Bible says in the Lord Jesus Christ there's no male and no female. That means God uses us all equally. The best lessons I've ever learned is from that lady right over there. I'm pointing to my wife. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> and I have watched uh, some teaching from female Bible teachers that have absolutely grown my life with Christ. To imply that these ladies have no place of leadership and no place of influence upon us as men is, to me, just absolutely ludicrous. To say that women don't have any authority, I don't know how... These, these things get out there. God uses anyone who is submitted and surrendered unto him. The women of Life Church, they lead our worship. They serve as ushers and greeters. They, they serve on our leadership team. They teach our classes. They take care of our babies. They, they help in the kitchen. They raise thousands and thousands of dollars for missions and on and on and on. 
And I know that this is not an official holiday today, but I am declaring for Life Church that it is Ladies Appreciation Day at our church. And And I am not ashamed to acknowledge that without you ladies, we would be nothing as a congregation. And I thank God for you. And every one of you guys, take your wife or your, your sister or your girlfriend or whatever she is, take her out for lunch today. You, you, tell, you women tell your guy there next to you, pastor said so. <laughs> and so you go and do it. So what can we learn from Deborah's story? We can simply learn this, that God, God's blessings require battles and fights. Number two, that we need to fight the right battles. Don't create battles for yourself that you don't need to be creating. And thirdly, that God works in ways that we don't always expect, but he is working anyway. I love the psalm that says, he never sleeps, he never slumbers. You know what that tells me? This is the comfort I've gotten from that. It teaches me that when I'm asleep, God's not. And that he's still working. And I'm exhausted and I'm so worried about the thing and I finally fall asleep and I can just give that thing to Jesus and say, Lord, thank you that you don't go to sleep. You're working on this situation even while I am asleep. So what I want to tell you to do is go ahead and go sleep. Not right now. <laughs> not, not driving on the way home either, but, but go to sleep tonight. You say, man, if you only knew my problems, I don't know all your problems. But Jesus does. Give them to him. He'll take care of them while you're sleeping. And you'll wake up in the morning and something new will have happened that you didn't expect. And whoa, you'll stand back and say, look what the Lord has done. Let's stand together. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.